Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan, 105.1 FM as well. Also, wherever you're looking for your podcast, you can find us at Lakes, Woods, and Irons and lakeswoodsandirons.com. Lots of opportunities and avenues for you. Uh, this segment brought you away by Craigan's Legacy Courses, home of the new Tom Lehman 18, the new Dutch uh, 9, and uh, the CRMC Classic coming up. And Shannon's Auto Body with a new location in East Brainerd to better serve their customers. Thanks to Shannon's for joining the team this year. Chris, uh, we were just talking how we're, uh, we get tired easier in our old age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of that time of year, you know, where uh, we're you know, two-thirds of the way through the golf season, which I hate even saying. It's right. hard to imagine. But, I do, uh, too. You know, a lot of a lot of hours in the heat and sunshine, and uh, you uh, get a little bit uh, zapped this time of year. <laughs> yeah, that heat's been oppressive here lately too. Today is an, is another example of it. It's, yeah, uh, for sure. About ten o'clock this morning, it changed from pretty comfortable to not very comfortable all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The three uh, M uh, was, uh, I think, a success. Uh, the, You'd love to see it on TV a little more, but that Golf Channel coverage was good, and then CBS had it on Sunday. And uh, we get another first-time winner, which is kind of getting to be the norm at uh, at the 3M. Yeah, you know, it's great. We, we kind of talked about some of the, the field last week and how strong the field was uh, comparatively what what they've had in the past. But uh, the 3M has got a reputation now kind of for first-time winners with uh, Matthew Wolf winning two years ago, the inaugural year of the was on the PGA Tour, and then uh, Tony Finau last year with a, kind of his breakthrough win, and now uh, Lee Hodges with a, Jesus, seven-shot victory, which is Lee Hodges, that, that, he was impressive, man. That, a lot of talk about Lee Hodges' game. He, yeah, he was dominant. We might he might be around yeah, a while, just so. like just like it looks like Finau is. Yeah, for sure. Wolf's got such a wild swing. He's uh, he kind of goes up and down, but uh, Finau and Hodges look like maybe they're maybe they're here to stay. And Finau wasn't bad in this year's 3M seventh or something like that. So. Yeah, he had another good week tied for seventh. So um, Thomas was didn't good really. Leaderboard. Thomas didn't really uh, come through. Missed the cut, I think, didn't he? So he's he's probably in trouble for he the did. cup. Yeah, he he's got to have like a great week this week at Wyndham to uh, both to to make the FedEx Cup and uh, and for his Ryder Cup chances. Yeah, I didn't even think of FedEx. He's kind of out of the money there, too, I think, or he's not in the top 70 anymore. Yeah, he's 77th right now, so he's <laughs> going to have to have a, a decent week to uh, to advance to the playoffs, which start next week already. Yeah, yeah. How are your juniors liking the heat, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, uh, it, uh, they've been wilting away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it uh, these these Brainerd kids aren't used to this type of heat and humidity. So, it uh, when it gets over seventy five, these kids melt. But uh, <laughs> they're they're doing pretty good. I saw a social media post with uh, uh, Kate the Great in it. What happened there? Yeah, Katie and Katie and one of her teammates, Emma Davis, had a, a great uh, tournament in the Minnesota Golf Association 
women's four ball event and uh, ended up winning by a couple shots down in Faribault. So it was really a nice, nice win for both of them. They, last year they finished third. They're, they're good teammates in that event. And um, yeah, she, she was very excited. She had been down at Sea Island the week before and played in the, the Sea Island Women's Amateur, which is third or fourth biggest amateur event in the country for ladies she got in on it as an alternate and didn't find out till late in the week and so she was down there and um great experience for a very huge i mean the field was just loaded with great uh, great players so it was neat for her to experience that and she came back and got back in time to for her and emma to play and uh brought home the w so pretty cool yeah, that's very cool. Wow. Four ball, explain that a little bit, Chris, for people who don't know. So a four ball is, uh, you know, if you and I were partners, we, we essentially play our own ball and uh, count the low ball on each hole. So if, if you make three and I make four, we count a three for the hole. Okay. Uh, you make three, I make six is usually how it worked when we, <laughs> when we played together. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, Mac. You, you carry me usually. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, and then the uh, Craigans had had quite a, a crew of young gals out. I think it was M, M, uh, MPGA junior girls yesterday were out at the course. Yeah, they have the uh, uh, the the Minnesota Junior Golf Match Play Championship going on, uh, which is a great event. And um, so both the girls and the boys have uh, uh, I think eighteen holes of stroke play. And then uh, the low 32 uh, going to match play. So uh, Craigens has hosted that, gosh, probably five or six years in a row. And it's uh, it's always a great field and a great tournament. Yeah, yeah. You want to? We were out taking some video for the upcoming uh, CRMC for some social media stuff, and uh, had to wait a few times on the tee while four girls would hit. You know, you think. Man, talk about beautiful golf swings on these, you know, whatever they were, 16, 17-year-old girls. Their swings are perfect. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's so many good young players in yeah. Minnesota today. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's what Fun really stands out is so many, the numbers. Got a couple of guests uh, coming up. We got uh, Parker's coming back, right? Yeah, we got Parker Kingholtz, who... Uh, Brainerd native, went to Brainerd High School, and uh, is now on the iron design team at TaylorMade. And then uh, we got Jake Miles from uh, uh, Auto Solutions talking about uh, some great golf carts they have. All right, very cool. Those guests are coming up. And more after this on Lakes, Woods, and Irons. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan, also 105.1 FM. And lakeswoodsandirons.com, you can find us there. And if you're looking for podcasts, just look under Lakes, Woods, and Irons. We've got uh, today's episode along with uh, multiple episodes there for you at, uh, on your podcast at Lakes, Woods, and Irons. This segment brought your way by Ernie's on Gull, deck and patio seating, weather permitting, an unmatched Gull Lake view, open at 11 year-round. Check, check them out on Facebook. Also, the Tea Hive with custom apparel for your business, event, team or family online at teahive.com. Chris, very special guest has joined us again. I'll let you handle the introduction. Yeah, I want to welcome my friend Parker Keenholz. Parker is a, a expert engineer, product development manager at TaylorMade Golf and a uh, 
a Brainerd High School graduate. So, well, uh, Parker, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, you guys. Good to be here. That it was, uh, it was really. You were in Brainerd last weekend and uh, got to spend a little time with you, and, and uh, uh, it was, it's always fun seeing you and playing some uh, golf around the Brainerd Lakes area. So, it uh, fun having you back on the show, Parker. I wanted to have you on, and uh, you told me some great stories about uh, um, you know some of the, the the tour players that that you guys work with. But uh, tell tell us about your role at TaylorMade and what you're doing there. Sure. So I've worked uh, for TaylorMade for about the past nine years now. We're located uh, in North County, San Diego, in Carlsbad, California. And uh, what I do there is I work on iron product development. So I work um, primarily on the iron side. We have different groups, irons, metal wood, putter wedge. And uh, basically my role is to help facilitate kind of um, developing uh, production product uh, that is eventually released and, and sold at retail. So we have different groups, um, prototype groups, uh, manufacturing engineer groups that help facilitate production, but uh, I, I'm involved with the design side of things, uh, trying to dial in the product as best we can, make sure our technologies uh, fit pretty seamlessly with the product and the goals uh, of the equipment that we're trying to launch. And it, Parker, tell us how does that process work? How long does it take from you know the concept for a new iron? Uh, basically to production and when it becomes a a golf club at retail? Sure. I mean, it it really does take quite a while. So we work a bit in different buckets. So we have have some members of the R&D team that are looking uh, and working on things that are really blue sky long term. Uh, We have some, uh, including myself, that sort of work on medium term. So when I say medium term, it's, it's basically, I'd say, a one- to two-year development cycle, uh, which is a bit product-dependent. But uh, we obviously have to go through multiple phases of um, testing, multiple prototype cycles. Uh, you know, obviously, it's, it's very rare that everything hits exactly correct on the very first try. So it is kind of funny. By the time uh, a product might actually release uh, for the public, um, say, for 2023, you know, in, in a lot of our minds, we've already kind of moved past it into things that we're working on for 2024 and beyond. But um, we we always do work kind of with a one to two year mindset in the future as we develop. Wow, the, so yeah, I mean, you're you're really looking out ahead into the you know kind of the far future. Huh? How do you do? You guys, I know some companies use a lot of AI in their designs, and uh, you know, is really in help that process where they can do it so much quicker do you guys use any ai and you know when you when you design an iron do you have, i know most of the heads are cast over and cast or forged over in uh, asia do you do the, do you have to wait until they uh, you know send the what your specs over there they build it send it back that type of thing or how does all yeah. that work yeah so there's a couple things to maybe talk about there the first thing with ai is Yes. Yeah, so, so what what you mentioned is definitely true, and and the point you brought up about um, the speed is is a big one because what, basically what AI and 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 computer simulation work allows us to do is basically just 
uh, work faster um, because you, you still need basically the human input to, to determine the parameters that go in to the design and simulations. But, you know, the computers and artificial intelligence can, can turn over and give us results that are accurate, you know, much, much, much faster than, than we could ever do any other way. So that helps facilitate development. It helps facilitate basically kind of the speed that we can work. And it allows us to try, you know, additional options that we may in the past not have been able to try just due to time and simulation flexibility. Uh, from what you said about, you know, our forging, our casting processes, that's true. So we have different vendors uh, in Asia, um, different locations, China, Vietnam, Taiwan, etc., cetera, uh, that produce different products. And, and when we work with them, there is definitely normally some, some turnaround time. So, you know, after the development process is complete, uh, we we share our files with them. We coordinate with them on the production aspect of those files, turning them from uh, computer design files into actual physical heads, be it through casting or forging. And then uh, once those heads are created, they're shipped back to us for obviously physical testing, in-person testing, player testing, robot testing, durability testing, the full suite. Uh, in, in some unique cases, we do have milling capabilities in-house, um, which we use on a limited basis, um, and that's basically a, a time-dependent scenario. You know, if we, if we need to turn around something extremely quickly for tour or what have you, and we don't have enough time to run through a, a full cycle, sending the parts overseas and then getting them back, we have uh, additional flexibility that way too. Yeah. How, how much? How much? Whoops. Go ahead. There, I was thinking, Parker. Uh, it's kind of uh, you had the, talked about the blue sky guys long term, and then your group kind of current. It's almost minuscule advancements. I mean, it's not like Taylor made such a great company. It's not like the twenty twenty one clubs were no good. You know, <laughs> uh, they were such a great product already. And uh, what's the, the type of advancements are? Uh, I mean, what's your what's your process on that? Sure. So, uh, you know, there, there's kind of a bevy of things that we may or may not look at, um, obviously, without getting into, like, specifics. You know, some, some, some things may be material-based. Uh, some things may be player-driven. So, for instance, say we release a set of irons, uh, as you said, in 2021. You know, obviously, we'll get feedback from sources um, all over the place. So we'll get, we'll get feedback from players themselves. We'll get potential feedback from our tour players and our tour team. We'll also get feedback from our sales representatives and our fitting representatives, you know, all over the country and all over the world. So sometimes this feedback does play a crucial role in further development. So we may have a situation where, um, you know, the, the playability of, of a long iron in a set may not be up to standard or, or we may need to take a look at reshaping on the short irons for for different aspects, for spin ratio, for, for any number of things. And a lot of times that feedback, um, it can be incremental. You know, I, I would say the development process kind of goes um, potentially in stages. So it's not a consistent, you know, uh, stepping block pace as you go along. You may go, you know, one, one year where um, you've 
you're doing something um, evolutionary where you're dialing in uh, launch characteristics, but then there may be another year in the future where you're doing something fairly revolutionary, where you're introducing, you know, a different material, you know, a different a different design, something something wholly different. So it does kind of go in in different stages as the years progress. But you know, we're always trying to get feedback um, from our products that have been released to look to make them better. Yeah, it's fascinating. Parker, how- wow. How how much influence does the do the tour players have on on the designs of different golf clubs? You know, it, that's a good question, Chris. It it depends, as you might imagine, um, pretty greatly on the level and type of golf club. So, for instance, you know, with the with the game improvement clubs and the super game improvement clubs that we release, you know, almost none, because basically there we are designing extensively and almost exclusively for the mid to higher handicap golfer. And those golfers have a very different set of needs and requirements that we try and cater to as compared to, you know, high level amateur or tour player. But then conversely, for something like uh, the the Blades, the MBs, which is actually the set I did this year um, that came out in 2023, our P7 MB irons, those irons, which are played on tour, the tour players have an extraordinary level of feedback and importance when it comes to the design. In fact, you know, it's not like they're in our offices, you know, watching as, as, as we make them, but um, we have feedback extensively from, from our tour teams, our tour reps, uh, who interface with those players directly. And we bring them in at every stage of the development process. You know, we give them prototypes. Uh, we ask, what is the turf interaction like for you? What is the ball flight like for you? You know, what do you need? What do you want? You know, where would you like this iron to go? So, you know, when it, when it comes to the, kind of the, the player end of the spectrum, they have quite a bit of influence. You're listening to our conversation with Parker Keyholtz, expert engineer and product development at TaylorMade. Fascinating conversation. We're back with more of that after this. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons, 1380 KLIZ, The Fan, and 105.1 FM this year. Also find us on podcast at Lakes, Woods, and Irons and lakeswoodsandirons.com. All available uh, spots for you to find the program. Now back to our conversation with Parker Keyholtz. Expert engineer of product development at TaylorMade. Fascinating conversation. And I'm sure you've seen this firsthand, but it it, it is incredible and, and eye-opening um, the the types of um, factors that that a tour player can really dial in on. So those MB irons that I mentioned that are out this year, uh, we we were looking to provide Colin with. Uh, basically a set that would cater to his his needs. So, for instance, when he won the Open Championship in 2021 at Royal St. George's, uh, he actually used a different iron set that week than he normally uses in his week-to-week time on tour. And the reason was it had to do with a variety of things, but generally just the turf over in England is firmer and faster than most of the turf here due to the conditions of the courses. And he needed some turf interaction differences in his irons. And for those that don't know, Colin has been ranked as high as number two in the world. And by far the best part of his game is his iron play. That's really his bread and butter. So he takes a 
deep interest and focus in sort of that aspect of his play. And he's, he's a very meticulous, uh, you know, kind of critical thinker by nature. And so we ended up making him upwards of 11, I think, different prototypes of those Doc MB heads for him basically to try over a period of several months. So, you know, we'd send him, you know, prototypes one through four, have him test them, he'd give feedback. You know, we'd incorporate that feedback into the next round of prototypes and so on. So that culminated eventually into a, into a pretty significant uh, fitting test at our fitting facility, the Kingdom in Carlsbad. And um, we eventually, happily, got him into a new set of irons that he has played since December and, and really seems to like. But to your point, Chris, kind of what can he discern um, you know, we, we had the 11 prototypes built by our tour team, right? So incredibly precise, spot on. Those guys know exactly what they're doing. Uh, they could build an iron blindfolded. And he takes, you know, one prototype and he goes, this one's a little heavy. You know, this one's a little head heavy. <laughs> and so we put it on the swing weight machine. Sure enough, instead of D2, it's D2.3, which is like a fraction <laughs> heavy. But it is pretty crazy. About, about the weight of a dollar bill. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Yep. No you know, kidding. Wow. Something a little off. Yeah, exactly. And it was the only yeah, one. That's that so w- when you build them a, a prototype like that, Parker, are you building them a full set of irons or just select irons? We usually build select irons. So um, in, in, in the cases like his, um, we'll start off for sure with a seven iron. Um, basically the middle of the set, the iron that kind of, um, you know, can sort of dictate the direction we go at either end of the set also. Uh, and then it'll depend on the player. It'll depend on set makeup. So in his case, he plays a, he plays a mixed set of irons with some different irons at the long end of the set. So we didn't need to make, say, a four iron because he already had a four iron that was um, a different uh, type of club that, that he had already liked. But we may also make, you know, for instance, a pitching wedge. We'll basically try and cover all the bases. And with something like that, we also let the, the player dictate the direction, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, we're working with him, and, you know, he's, in effect, the customer, so to speak. So uh, for him, we really focus on seven irons, kind of the middle of the set. That's where he felt the turf interaction was most crucial. So we started from there and kind of worked our way out. That's interesting. Parker, how much different is the, you know, the set that Colin Marikai was playing? If if I came out and you fit me for a set of MBs, how much different would my set be other than the specs itself than what he's playing? You know, interestingly enough, Chris, in in that specific case, not especially different. Um, And and I think that speaks to a little bit of, of, like I said, his uh, meticulousness and, and his precision when it comes to knowing what he wants. But we took a look at, uh, when I say turf interaction, what I'm talking about is essentially kind of the sole width of the club, the bounce angle of the club, uh, the leading edge appearance of the club. Basically, you know, for these guys, when they take divots, how the club enters and exits the turf. <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me. And so for him, uh, the, the differences were subtle and subtle enough where, uh, you know, at a quick glance, I doubt you could actually tell the difference uh, aside from him having his own personal stamping on the back, CM instead of MB. But, uh, 
<laughs> in that case, in that case, not a lot. Um, but you know, it it can vary too. Um, you know, we we've made um, prototype irons for for Rory and DJ and, and other players in the past, and and in some cases, the differences can be noticeable. Um, for instance, Rory likes a little more offset in his irons than than stock, so that'd be something you'd be immediately looking down for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, the result of Chris hitting it and Colin hitting it might be a little bit different. Well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it is pretty amazing. It's, you almost exactly could ever miss a shot. Well, Parker, well, did you have? Have you had uh, maybe a favorite aha moment in uh, in developing clubs over the years? Do you have one you think? I, you know, I, by golly, I think I've got it. Kind of a thing. <laughs> Well, that, that, that's a good question. Um, you know, thinking back throughout the years and, and some of the products I've done, I would say, uh, you know, some, some of the real aha moments that, that kind of come in, uh, come in, funny enough, in, in spots that if you did your job right, uh, the golfer, the public will never know that anything happened, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's one of those situations where... Sometimes the most gratifying um, developments in a in a product or or solutions that you come up with are are solutions that you come up with that are well hidden, you know, which is which is good. <laughs> um, I would say since since I've been a tailor made, probably our flagship set of irons that that we've we've really poured, um, you know, kind of our hearts and souls into as as a development group are, are the P series irons, especially the P seven ninety. And that that iron, which is which is a hollow hollow body uh, players distance category of iron, um, that that really has opened a lot of doors for us in terms of you know not only reception and sales and that kind of thing, but also leading us into avenues for further development and direction that that we you know hadn't taken before, and that have that have given us insight into basically some new ways that we can we can take iron design and and make products. That continue to be, you know, better for the consumer and better for a range of consumers too. Because, like I said, you know, depending on the level of player, depending on the um, demographics of the player in terms of, you know, swing speed and attack angle and a whole range of things, um, different players obviously need different products to be able to hit optimally. So it it it's it's a fun use of an engineering degree, which is what I always say, especially if you've grown up a golfer like me. And, you know, it continues day-to-day to be an interesting and rewarding job because things are always changing a little bit, which makes it fun. Yeah, but Parker, one of, uh, one, one of your tailor-made staff players is, is uh, the GOAT, Tiger Woods. Have you, have you gotten to uh, spend any time with Tiger or had any influence mm-hmm. in, in the irons Tiger's playing? Uh, I have not spent any time with him, Chris, although Lord knows I wish I could say yes. But obviously, <laughs> when comes to spending time with him, that uh, that circle of influence only goes so far down. And <laughs> yeah. He hasn't quite reached yet, which is okay. But it, it is interesting. So in terms of his, his own set of irons, and obviously in the past 18, 24 months, he hasn't been able to play as much you know, with his, with his foot and ankle injuries. But um, his irons were were a really interesting, um, you know, case, you know, when he came aboard, um, 
in I think we signed him in, in 2017, and and he's played our club since then. And the irons are actually the thing that took the longest um, amount of time to develop for him. So he moved into the wedges pretty quick. He moved into the metal woods uh, pretty quick, and he, he took kind of some extra time and care with the irons. And you know, again, I, I would say probably similar in terms of what we went to with Colin. Um, it's just that, you know, he's, he's meticulous by nature, and, and I would say even as good as he is in all facets of the game, his iron play, you know, over the years has probably been the single thing that has, that has really separated him from, from everybody else. So, um, you know, he, we have his, his own, own personal set, which is, you know, the P7PWs, and he's played those forever. And, you know, it's funny, not only does he like them, and, you know, obviously he had a hand in making them, you know, various other players, um, um, Tommy Fleetwood and the world number one currently Scotty Scheffler play that same set. So uh, clearly, uh, uh, with his help, um, you know we we made an iron set that that some of the touring professionals like to play. Good enough for Tiger. Good enough yep. for me, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I imagine. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. Tiger really does not switch equipment. Um, like a lot of players do. I mean, you know, I, when I back when I used to spend a lot of time with Hank Haney and uh, Hank was working with Tiger, and you know, it, almost to a fault, he he was slow to change, and uh, especially like with the with the driver back in the you know the early two thousands, he he was still playing a steel shaft at times, and and uh, you know didn't take advantage of a lot of the equipment advances. Uh, at that time, so uh, he tends to when when he finds something he likes, he sticks with it. Yeah, and and, and I, I find it funny too because he, even <clears throat> inside the walls of our own company, uh, you know, obviously we have access to <clears throat> so many you know great new products and clubs that we can try, and and I find that that mentality is it's, it's oftentimes either, either one or the other, isn't it? It's, it's as a player, you either you know constantly tinkering, you know looking looking under the hood for something new, twenty four seven, or in my case, you know, you know which I I say more the other way. If, if if you find something you like, then you like it, and and you know you want to just be comfortable. So it is funny sort of how that uh, that dichotomy can present itself. But uh, yeah, yeah, Tiger can be a tough nut to crack sometimes, but you know I think he has some justification for it too. So. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> oh, that's neat. Parker, if, you know, if we've got kids listening that uh, that have an interest in going into golf club design, what uh, what what advice do you have for them? And you know, what uh, what would be a good route for them to follow? Well, you know, that's another great question, Chris, because I have to say, you know, my path into golf club design definitely wasn't a straight line. So, you know, I. I I grew up playing golf with my dad, you know, starting from, you know, about age 10, actually in 97 when Tiger won the Masters, so there you go. But um, when, when it comes to actually going into golf club design, obviously having a passion for the game really helps. Um, you know, I, we at, at TaylorMade, we say we're golf-optimistic, you know. We're optimistic with regard to the game, you know, and we have a passion for the game as a company, and, and you know, we're golf-focused. And, and that's true for, I think, all the major manufacturers for sure. Um, obviously, there is, you know, the caveat if you're going into design, um, 
basically we're all engineers of some discipline or another. Uh, I went to the University of Minnesota, um, shout out my golfers, and you know, I, have, I have degrees in aerospace engineering. A lot of uh, my colleagues in the department have mechanical engineering degrees. I would say mechanical engineering is, is definitely the most um, prevalent uh, degree of our R&D team. But there's also people who work in, in material science, process engineering, so various engineering disciplines, essentially. So th there is one, I guess, kind of unimpeachable hurdle, which is you need to, you know, at least, I guess, be interested in school. You know, you don't you don't have to be at the top of your class, but you definitely have to kind of have a passion for math and science and, and, and how math and science sort of translate into an engineering discipline. And then, you know, if, if you decide that engineering is, sort of the path for you, then then the doors can definitely open. But, you know, Chris, when I started, I just sort of applied during college to basically all the major manufacturers on a whim, thinking, you know, somebody has to make golf clubs, right? I wonder who it is. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, and sure enough, there was a lot of mechanical engineering positions, and I'm like, well, I'm pretty close to that. Let me give it a try. So, you, you, you know, it, it, it definitely wasn't like my master plan from from day one to, to go into golf club design, but you know it's it's been a really great fit with with my passion for the game, and then you know obviously also the schooling that I had. So it's been good. How often do you get out and play, well, Parker? Quite a bit. Yeah, I <laughs> I I I, uh, I won't uh, I won't lie there. So I, <laughs> I'm good. A, I'm a member of the golf club in in Vista, California, and as you can imagine, Vista, which is North San Diego, you know we are extremely extremely spoiled when it comes to weather <laughs> uh, so obviously we can play year-round you know i play basically most weekends so i get plenty of rounds and time in um but um you know like like chris said i was actually up in uh the lakes area a couple weeks ago and it's still always nice to get it back there you know once in the summer when the weather is when the weather is nice and and play some courses around there and, and see some friends and family, too. So oh, you bet. I do golf in. Parker, do you think, well, Parker, uh, you know, your attack, you, you think, uh, here, I've got the best set of golf clubs going because I made them, so any bad shot is all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll tell you what, you're not completely wrong. My joke <laughs> is, you know, and one one of the gratifying things, as a designer is is when you're actually out at a golf course and, and you can look at the backdrop or 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 whatever and and see the product that you worked on in a bag you know that is really gratifying and <laughs> yeah when, when i play with someone who is using you know clubs that i had a hand in or, or tailor-made irons or what have you you know my joke is with only a kernel of truth is that in that case, yes, all the bad shots are their fault, and all the good ones are are due to me. Obviously, that's not exactly true, but uh, it's, it's a good icebreaker. Yes. Well, that's that's great stuff, Parker. We really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and uh, and sharing all your uh, your stories about uh, your experiences at TaylorMade. Yeah, thank you, Chris. It was good to it was good to see you. And I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, say congrats to you and your family on Kate winning the MGA Four Ball. That was oh, thank uh, you. Great for you guys. That that's really awesome. Congratulations there. And thank uh, you. Yeah, she's pretty excited. 
Yeah, I can imagine. That's that's a that's an excellent achievement for sure. So no, thank you both for having me. It's a lot of fun, and uh, you know, Brainerd's my hometown, and it always will be. And uh, it's great to talk with you guys. Thank you very much, Parker. Thanks, we appreciate Parker. it. Yep. Have a good day. You've been listening to Lakes Woods and Irons on thirteen eighty KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes Woods and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan, and uh, 105.1 FM this year, also available at lakeswoodsandirons.com. And if you prefer podcasts, you can just find us under Lakes Woods and Irons at most outlets for your podcast. I want to thank uh, Parker Keyholz for coming on with us. Uh, very good, interesting. Uh, if, you, if you're an engineer and love golf, it's kind of a cool career he's got going there, Chris. <laughs> Yeah, he's kind of got a dream job, you know. I mean, it, uh, uh, it's uh, perfect for Parker. He's always been so passionate about the game, and uh, it's fun to see him having so much success. Yeah, yeah. This segment brought your way by SCR Northern, the ones with Old Man Winter on the truck. Chris, so we've talked about balance often uh, in the golf swing, and I have a little balance issue the older I've gotten and a couple problems with my feet, but... I'll tell you what I think it really is affecting my putting. My putting is you. you I'm generally a pretty good putter, and uh, uh, I'm having some issues with with my putting this year. I don't know if it's because the greens are faster with the CRMC coming over at Legacy, or greens are always fast at Madden. So, but uh, I club them ten feet past the hole often. It seems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. You know, you you wouldn't think it would, but but you know you're being in a balanced setup in your putting stroke is equally important as the full swing. Yeah. And, um, you know, if, if, if we're not in balance, we're going to seek it. And when we're, when we're seeking balance, that's going to change the, the arc of her stroke and where you, where you contact the ball in relationship to the center of the face. And, uh, that's going to cause both direction and distance issues. So, yeah. Yeah. Be better balanced is, a, is my solution, I guess. Huh? <laughs> yeah, seems to be. You, uh, you got to really, you got to make sure that you're, uh, you know, you're in the in the center of your feet, and uh, you know, you don't see a lot of people air to the heels, but you you do see a lot of people airing uh, where their balance gets in their toes, especially in the putting stroke, where we tend to be bent over a lot more than than we would be in the full swing. Right, that feeling of almost wanting to step forward. You can't to have that when you're when yeah. you're putting. So. Right, you know, and it, to to get in a, a, a good putting setup and an imbalance, Mac. If you start, you know, if you start off standing straight up and down, and and you know, make sure your your weight is in the center of your feet. You can even rock back to your heels, up to your toes, and find that center point. And once you're once you're there, then then bend over and get in your address position. It's a lot easier to stay in that balance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And there are, we've talked about them before, but uh, some pretty good putting drills any time of year, Chris. And uh, this time of year, when you got maybe a little more time to get out there and practice, let's talk about a couple of those. I know you love the the th- the thirty foot drill. Uh, that's yeah, you know, one I, that's I, you worked for me. I know. If if you're gonna let's say you have a, a half hour to devote to putting uh, practice session, I would spend about twenty minutes of uh, working on distance control, and ten minutes working on uh, makeable putts. And, uh, I would say, you know, those makeable putts, five feet is where we, 
you know, for the average player, if we can make over 50% from five feet, uh, you're going to be ahead of kind of the average. And so, you know, at, at those five foot, I'd spend a little bit of time working on finding a straight putt uh, where you know that you're hitting it online, you're, you're hitting it at the correct speed, spend a little bit of time there. And then kind of, you know, if, if, you, if you chose uh, four, four spots around the hole at that five feet or eight spots and work your way around the hole where you're hitting a different putt each time and you're having to pay attention to both the break and the speed. And then, uh, then it, if you worked on distance control, and, and uh, a, one of my favorite distance control drills is to put uh, a golf club or the flag stick, uh, say, 18 inches behind the hole and drop a ball at, at 6, 12, 18, 24, and 30 feet and go from the shortest putt to the longest putt trying to get the ball to stop, even with the hole or beyond the hole but not past the flag stick or your club and um you know you're you're basically just focused on that distance and if you can if you can get them all within that that what i call the safety zone your distance control is going to improve and uh the better your distance control is that's your, that's your number one priority if your distance control is good you're going to make both those more of those makeable putts and you're and you're going to eliminate the three putts yeah and if you think about the 18 inch Behind the cup and 18 inches in front, that's a three-foot circle. If you can get inside there, you're you're going to have a lot of 18-inch uh, putts or less. So, yeah, much exactly. more makeable, obviously. I call it the the no anxiety second putt. <laughs> that's what we like. Less anxiety, yeah. the better. And Chris, I always think of, of course, I know that's different after knowing you, but most people think of a, a guy like yourself i'll come see you and we'll work on my golf swing but you're happy to take your clients out on the putting green as well you've got uh, plenty of uh, professional advice for us there as well yeah absolutely not you know not enough people really fo- ever focus on the short game we just go to the range and right and hit balls and everybody thinks they're you know their long games what's what's affecting their their game the most but you really have to take the time and analyze it to find out where your where your deficiencies are um, you know the, the short game's the easiest area uh, where we can be you know the closest to the elite level player because it doesn't take great athleticism or speed or you know great athletic skills to, to have a good putting stroke and have good distance control or to be a good chipper and pitcher of the golf ball sure so for uh the long game, the middle game, and the short game, chrisfoleygolf.com might be an answer for some people. There you go. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Mac. That's Chris Foley. I'm Colin McDonald. You've been listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on The Fan.